You're listening to the Raccoon Roundtable podcast, episode number 45. I'm your host, David Oria, and I'm here with my co-host. Chris Sagana, and our guest today was Josh Dillon. He is a rheumatology fellow, and we went pretty deep as far as his journey getting into oh, medicine. Yeah. Uh, which is cool is that you, know, you guys are college buddies, roommates even, and that you guys end up following the same career. It's, it was, this is a very, very deep conversation, I think, about the profession, but about just a lot of things that, you know, a lot, many of us don't even think about when pursuing any type of profession, which I thought was super unique, man. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. You know, emailing and finding out about, it, it, it takes a lot of initiative on your part. That, that's really, but I think if it's something you want to do, um, there's always somebody willing to help. At least, you know, that's, that's what I've found. And I wouldn't say I have one of those people who had, you know, one strict mentor who's helped me like continuously along the way. I, I think I've just had different mentors or not i wouldn't even call them mentors but sometimes just friends or um colleagues who just you know help me at each stage yeah, and that's been useful hey before we get started let's hear a word from our show sponsor are you having trouble writing a personal statement trust me you're not alone we've all been there sometimes the hardest part is getting started that's why personal storytellers created a free mini course to do just that the course takes you step-by-step step on how to get started writing a personal statement, taking your stories, weaving them together into a true personal statement. And the course is free, so check it out. You can find it on raccoonroundsofficial.com. They also have workshops on reviewing and revising your personal statements. All the resources are there, so check it out at raccoonroundsofficial.com forward slash personal storytellers. You're listening to the Raccoon Roundtable podcast. Here's where we all come together, share our stories about our struggles, mindset, and goals so that we all can get to the places we want to go. We appreciate you being here, and we hope you enjoy the episode. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I, I laugh at the beginning just because I have the pleasure of, you know, speaking with two of my friends today, you know, two of my really close friends, and both from two different worlds, and it's honestly, it's it's pretty crazy. It not pretty crazy. It is crazy. And all, many of you guys listening, you guys know Chris and regular host on the, on the podcast here, but someone that you don't know, and I'll let him introduce himself, but a really good friend of mine, um, Josh Dillon. Uh, introduce yourself, man. Give give the audience a brief overview of like, who you are, what you're doing, yeah. where you're from, where you're at, everything. Give us a lowdown. Uh, so hi, guys. I'm Josh, uh, originally from Yuba City, California. Uh, shout out NorCal. Uh, <laughs> Uh, went to high school um, over there and then had the pleasure of going to UCLA with a Mr. David Oria. Um, shout out Sproul Hall. <laughs> uh, um, from there, um, David and I had a lot of good times. And from there, um, I decided to go into medical school. Um, so um, I went to St. George's, um, which is uh, on the island of uh, Grenada. Um, so overseas Caribbean school. And then um, I did my residency in Washington, DC in internal medicine. And then now I'm at the University of Virginia for a rheumatology fellowship. So any specific uh, rheumatology questions, I'd be happy to answer. I don't know if you <laughs> audience would be in that or even know what that is, but um, I, I'd be happy to answer. And then, um, yeah, looking, looking back to, uh, Looking forward to going back to the West Coast in about a year. So, awesome man, that's awesome. Nice. It seems like it's coming coming full full circle, which yeah. is huge. You know, which is huge. I think that's a. I kind we kind of Chris and I were talking a little bit, um, just discussing like, oh, like what are we going to talk about? Like, you know, there's there's so many things that we can so many topics we can kind of broach. And I guess I'll we'll we'll start here. Like, you know, what made you want to go into medicine? That is a very great question. Um, so. Uh, spoiler alert, um, David and I were roommates in college during our third year, and um, I, I think we were sort of at that point that, so my major is actually in anthropology, that's what I was um, doing, but I was taking a lot of, it was a BS degree, so I was taking a lot of the pre-med um, coursework anyways, um, but I wasn't really set on being a physician, I, you know, never really was sort of my motivation. Um, I was either thinking about doing a, um, like, PhD in anthropology or um, 
It sounds crazy now, but working for the CDC and um, going into public health. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah, the, the CDC used to do a lot, um, used to handle like uh, E. coli outbreaks was their, their big thing. It's not, not like how it is now. <laughs> um, but so I, so I did a minor in public health as well, but I was sort of bouncing between a lot of different things of David remembers like, I would join one club for a little bit and that, that'd be my thing at a certain point of two ants were optometrists and I thought, well, family business, maybe like I'll do that for, <laughs> I was doing that for a few months, but kind of just bouncing around and um, really just enjoying the, um, I think everything UCLA had to offer in terms of um, social clubs, but um, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do career wise. Um, but one thing I knew is I really liked humanities. I liked anthropology. So I applied for a program um, called it was the Lemelson Scholars Program, um, where basically they would pay you money each semester um, to do research um, that would contribute towards a senior thesis. And so I got into the program and um, I did appreciate having the extra little amount of cash every day. <laughs> It helped a lot with rent and everything else um, at UCLA. Um, but the project that I decided to work on was looking at undocumented immigrants and their access to healthcare. So it was a lot of sitting, doing very long one-on-one um, -on -one qualitative interviews with um, pretty much undocumented people in LA, uh, the Fresno Bakersfield area in California, and then closer near Sacramento where I'm from originally. And, you know, it was really um, eye-opening for me just to see how vulnerable um, these, these people were. In a lot of cases, they would get injured on the job and, you know, their employer would, you know, not always bring them to a doctor's office or they, if they could, it'd be for one visit, but they didn't want to, you know, be responsible for them. And ultimately, they could pay them as much as they wanted because, you know, they're undocumented and they could always, you know, turn around and... Um, sort of um, rat them out, basically. So they were sort of very much at the mercy of their beholders. But I think what stood out to me is I really liked a lot of that one-on-one -on -one interaction. Like, I, I think research is a great, it's a great thing and we, we need people doing research. But for me, I'm a very hands-on person. Um, I like being able to do, um, you know, be able to do something active for a person as opposed to like, you know, wait on doing research for a few years. And for me, I think some of the advice I got from my uncle was, you know, don't think about, a, you know, choosing between careers. Think about one issue that you're really passionate about and figure out a job that can lead you towards working on that cause. So for me, it was, well, you know, I want to help you know, the most vulnerable people in my community. So people who are undocumented, people who are low health literacy, people who are low socioeconomic status. And to me, the best way to do that wasn't through, you know, doing an anthropology degree or doing um, a public health um, degree, but through actually going into medicine. So I, I think I was almost a senior by the time I came to that realization. So um, yeah, that's, that's what sort of, um, brought me into the world of medicine. Oh, that's, I mean, lots, sounds like a lot of soul searching. A lot of going to college. <laughs> a lot of conversations <laughs> with uh, David and our other friend, Wayne. It was a lot of um, bouncing around. So, yeah. That's well, really I, cool I, 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 that. Yeah. Oh, no, I, wait, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I tell people, I know we went to UCLA, so I think, I feel like David, correct me if I'm wrong, but like 40% of the kids come in pre-med, and yeah. there's people, there's a lot of super type A kids who, you know, maybe from the day they were born or, you know, when they're in middle school, they knew they were going to be doctors. Their parents are doctors. They're sort of the, the family business is medicine. And I think, which I think David can attest to, too. We, you know, we're coming at it from a little bit more of an outside perspective. I don't have any, yes, of two answer optometrists and what, what <laughs> we were talking about, so we're going to count them as they're doctors. <laughs> I'm not gonna, they're controversial yeah um but i i think that um you know we didn't have a lot of that that background so for me it was it was a conclusion that i came to very late so you know while i, I understand you know in this 
in day and age with how much college costs and it, you know, it's always a good idea to have an idea of at least what you want to do you know i say also like you know it's never too late to you know find out what you want to do um i mean do you mentioning that you would to would talk about this with David and your other roommate. I mean, it's it's nice to hear that you had somebody to kind of have an outlet with as far as your soul searching and maybe even exploring medicine. I guess with like 40% of students being uh, pre-med once they enter UCLA, it yeah. sounds really competitive and it sounds like it's almost, yeah. I don't want to say it this way, but you don't know who to trust when you want to to kind of share these thoughts and feelings with, right? I mean, your intention is yeah. not necessarily legacy, you know, following medicine because of family, but it's because of your concerns about uh, medical equity, right? And just making sure that you're addressing something, a need in the community. Yeah. So it's like having these friends to bounce these ideas on and these feelings, I think is huge. Um, and obviously you're still in touch with David. I mean, how, how throughout your career, you know, you're going through med school as well as now with, okay, can I ask this question? So what's the difference between like a fellow and like a resident yeah. and a, I'm sorry, I'm not, and, and that, is a great, fellowship, no, no, that is a great fellowship question. of the rings or like, no, <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's a great question. Um, it's actually funny because um, I was in Washington, D.C., so a lot of the people who work on the kill, if they're paid, they're considered fellows uh, versus interns who are generally not paid. So it's, it's kind of confusing because they're also called fellows. Um, but basically, when you're when you finish medical school, you go into residency, which is basically um, a, a job, essentially, but it's, it's you're, you're training still. So. Um, you, you, generally, the residency is in um, not all of them, but generally in very general fields. So internal medicine, family medicine, pain medicine and rehabilitation, uh, uh, general surgery. So you you generally do that residency, and that's sort of your bread and butter. Um, you know how to be um, a doctor one on one and learning on the job, and you know getting take, taken care of patients. Generally, for fellowship, you do fellowship because you want to specialize in something. So, if you want to be a cardiologist who, who puts in stents for somebody with a heart attack, um, if you want to be a GI doctor who does like things like colonoscopies, or, or in my case, rheumatology, which is um, basically a doctor that um, focuses on um, arthritis and joints and muscle then that requires doing a fellowship. So it's basically an extra couple of years of training um, to get specialized in that particular field. With the idea being that, yeah, you might get some exposure to it during your general residency, but really, you know, these fields are very complex. So it requires um, you to do an extra couple of years of training in, in that field specifically. Um, so generally, I, I wouldn't say across the line, but people will often do fellowship where they um, did their residency at, because usually sometimes they're at the same, if it's a teaching hospital, they might have both available at the hospital. Um, but oftentimes people will go to an, in an, another hospital or another city um, to, to, to finish that training. David, do you want to add to that? I believe. No, I think that, that <laughs> like, you described it really well. Yeah, that's, that, that's kind of the, the structure. What I wanted to, while you were, you were talking about that, yeah. uh, one thing like literally came from my mind. I was like, I wish I knew the ins and outs of all of that before even applying to med school. I found out yeah, about yeah, like yeah. I found out yeah. about the details of residency and fellowship like at the end of medical school or like the the middle yeah, yeah. slash end of of medical school. And so I was going into to med school like, oh yeah, like you know this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna like be a doctor. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, like so after I graduate, like I still I get a job, but I'm still like training. And they're like, so yeah. And they're like, and so I was just like, <laughs> I really wish I knew that, you know. And and that's just you know that that's honestly just ignorance, you know, on my part. But honestly, yeah. a lot of that information falls through the cracks, like when when trying to pick a career, any career, any career, yeah, yeah. you know, like if you want to do something in IT, if you want to be some sort of like engineer, if you want to if you want to go into nursing, like the different paths that and and all the intricacies that come with that, like that's never really outlined yeah. well. You know, I mean, I feel like both of you guys can kind of attest to that. Well, like Chris, what do you what do you say as far as your field, right? You come, you're coming from something outside of medicine. You know, did you feel the same or some something similar? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with my field, what they told us mainly was, okay, you might be working with electronic health record, you might be working with medical records, and maybe a little bit of like informatics or analytics. They never told us really that you can jump into compliance because I mean, compliance touches a lot of the the information and make sure that information's protected. So there's another certification that you can go and jump into. So um, I think that this is why we have Josh and other people, our guests to explain <laughs> that there are so many other next steps or other like pathways that you can go that can explain these things, right? Yeah, so it's, uh, to, to David's point, I think the level of where you're at, unfortunately, it's easy to have tunnel vision at that point in time. So when you're in college, you know, everybody's so focused, at least in terms of pre-med background about, you know, getting the right grades, getting the recommendation letters, getting, you don't even think about, you know, what is medical school life like? What does that, you know, entail? Like, you know, studying six to seven days a week and trying to, you know, keep a, um, you know, balance in terms of your family and your health. Like you're not even remotely thinking about that. And then when you're in medical school, um, I think you're so focused on just getting a residency. Um, and unfortunately, until I was the way the system works until you're very late um, into your third year or your fourth year is when you're actually exposed to maybe some other fields um, that you know you might be particularly interested in because generally the third and fourth year um, is more uh, like hands-on training where you're actually in the hospitals whereas the first two years is more sort of book learning. So you don't, by the time you're already applying for residency, you're not, you, you may not have had, you know, any exposure to, you know, a particular field that you're applying to. So you're essentially applying for residency without ever knowing what it's actually like to work in that field. Or forget what the job, you know, what it is in the, ultimately in the job world, but you don't even know what it's like to be a resident in, in that field. But the, unfortunately with the way, um, sort of the application timeline is based on your, you know, applying for medical school. And I think there's a lot of people are taking, you know, one or two years off these days, but sometimes when you're barely finishing with undergrad and then from going from medical school to residency, you're like applying in your third year of medical school. So you might not even have a full sense of what you want to, or, you know, there might be something cool you do in your fourth year that you might actually be interested in, but you're already applying midway through your third year for, for residency. So it's, um, I think it's important to try to learn as much as possible and to get as much exposure as you can early on. Um, but yeah, I mean, one, I'll give one example. So David is his residency in pain medicine rehabilitation. I didn't even knew very much about that field. I didn't, I think maybe I worked with one doctor for about a week, but you know, that maybe potentially that's something I would have been interested in, but it wasn't even on my radar at that point to, um, just because I hadn't been exposed to it. And you know, I think it's a cool field. So just use that as an example. I think, and that happens yeah. like across the board, you know, not, and that, like I said, you know, not even just it with, in, in the specific space of, of medicine, but in anything pre-health, I feel like in yeah. anything, you know, engineering as well, a lot of these yeah. things just, it's just information that isn't always readily available. And, and to your point, Josh, like there, it's something that's never really top of mind because everyone's always focused on something yeah. else, you know? Yeah. And I, you, you mentioned something too, because I know and and I kind of wanted to, to bring it to that because you, you know, you're from Northern California, you went to school in Southern California, you did your residency out of the, out of the country. You came back to the States to do your residency, went to another state for, um, for fellowship and now planning to go back to the West coast. Like, so this is another thing that I think is, you know, something to to consider and, and, and at least a conversation that needs to be had in terms of like, first of all, like dealing with that. Like, how did you even how did you even deal with that mentally being away from your family and being like being able to handle the pressures of what medical school, college, whatever it may be, getting into getting into residency, fellowship and all that. Yeah. Like, what was that like? Take us through that. So, yeah, let, let me break it down a little bit first. So starting from high school. So um, I'm, I'm from a pretty small um, sort of suburban conservative town in Northern California near Sacramento. And the majority of um, sort of my classmates, well, I wouldn't even say the majority, but 
for kids who did end up going to school, they went to the local university, UC Davis, which is a great school. And, you know, I love support it, it's, especially now it's, it's, it's gotten, it's continued to do really well. And it's especially great for veterinary medicine. Um, but for myself, um, I was like, nope, like I, I don't want to be like every other kid who goes to UC Davis. I want to do, you know, I want to have an experience, um, you know, beyond that. I want to, you know, go to a UCLA or, you know, possibly go out of state and, you know, really have that sort of um, outside college, outside college experience. And luckily I will say, you know, I did have parents that, you know, were supportive of that. I don't think everybody's lucky to have, um, you know, given how much college costs these days and, um, that that could be a whole other topic. I was literally just about to say that. That's a, whole, that's a whole other different topic. But you know, I, I'm I glad you acknowledge that. I, yeah, I understand. You know, people might not have you know the opportunity or parents that, that are supportive of you know. Yes, you can have your local experience, but why don't you go away and have an experience where you're going to have to probably grow up quicker. Um, so for me, it was very you know. I went to. You know, I I obviously like love my teachers and you know went to regular public high school, but it was in no ways a, um, I was very adequately underprepared for the, for the UCLA world. And um, especially when it came to some of the pre-medical coursework, a lot of that time, like it was very, very um, stressful early on. And I, I just, I, I think there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome that kicks in initially when you're, when you're starting out and it's like, well, you know, why is it so easier for other kids? And um, you know, I think a lot of the kids are uh, from UCLA, from the Bay Area, and that's probably, you know, an area with, with Silicon Valley being there. It's like some of the best public and private, you know, high schools in the country. So I think there was a little bit of a transition there. Um, I also think it was quite a bit of a transition um, socially, just because, you know, I grew up in high school where, you know, I pretty much was friends with a lot of different groups of people, knew everybody at my school. It was a very comfortable life. Um, whereas at UCLA, I mean, I think it's like 40,000 students <laughs> uh, between the undergrad and the um, grad student. So it, it was a very, very um, sort of different world and challenging there. But you know, I, I welcomed that, I wanted that. that. That to me was very important for me to have that you know, I, I was sort of one of those kids who wanted to live somewhere else and to, you know, go away for school. Um, between going to medical school in the Caribbean, so um, obviously, like I explained before, you know, I, I came to arrive at the decision for going into medicine very late. And um, I, I think at that time, my CV resume was probably not as strong as, as I, I would like it to be. So I basically had two options to you know, try to work on strengthen that, you know, uh, resume for about one or two years and to see, you know, they get into a, a school in, in the United States or to um, go to the Caribbean. Um, St. George's school has been around for a long time, um, since the 1970s. Um, so there's been a lot of um, doctors across the U.S. that have um, graduated from there. But luckily, I had one of my good friends who had just gone the year before and my girlfriend at the time was um, also going there. So... Um, it, it was it was definitely a transition to, to live in a different country. Um, so the island of Grenada, it's it's in the Caribbean. It's a little bit closer to South America. Um, the first night I got there was <laughs> quite a quite a um, dramatic experience. But um, I, you know, I, I looked at it as an opportunity. Is how I framed it. Like you know what, you know, at the very least, despite you know everything. The school is giving you an opportunity to become a doctor and to me i had that mindset straight on like nothing's gonna stop me and to say the least i had a very fun experience living on an island um where i lived it's sort of semi-tourist but it's it's sort of um working on ecological tourism but the local um, population was very friendly and it was obviously a lot of time on the beach a lot of time like hiking in the rainforest and in addition to studying most of the time but um, I met a lot of great friends there and I, I think we sort of had a, a very um, shared experience and shared mentality for um, uh, you know studying the best we could focusing on getting back to the states for um, our third and fourth year of medical school and um, you know just trying to enjoy the experience too though so 
Um, so I was there for two years and then um, switched that to going to New York City, <laughs> which David and I were talking uh, about um, over the weekend. So um, I primarily lived in Brooklyn for two years. So for um, generally third and fourth year of medical school, you're doing what you called rotations, um, where you're doing, um, you're going between sometimes the same hospital or various hospitals to do just like the basic medicine specialties, so surgery, OB-GYN, pediatrics, um, internal medicine. And it was quite a dramatic change, but I, so I love New York. It was you know, a very, very fun time um, to, to be there. Um, it was a bit of a culture shock for me. Um, I grew up in, again, small town California, please and thank yous, excuse me, <laughs> yes sirs, no. And to deal with some of the, um, just taking the subway every morning. I mean, that's, that's um, that was an eye-opening experience, sometimes having to take the subway at five o'clock in the morning. And um, sometimes there's people coming off of the night shift and, um, I'll just say that you, you meet all walks of life uh, on, on the subway, um, but um, I, I, I learned so much from that experience. And I, I think what's cool about that experience, not to say that I think sometimes, you know, I, I think it's wonderful to have other careers, but one thing that's cool about medicine is you really do meet people from all walks of life. Um, you probably people that you probably normally wouldn't, you know, meet in your ordinary life. Um, people from other countries, people, um, you know, varying economic statuses. Um, so it, it was such an sort of rich experience um, for me. And, um, you know, obviously got to take advantage of living in New York, being in Central Park, um, being in Brooklyn, like it was quite a quite a fun time. Um, so then um, it became time to apply for residency. And it was a little bit stressful for me because I was, um, with my girlfriend at the time, and we were um, thinking about um, possibly uh, entering the match together as a couple, which means um, basically where you're applying so that you'll end up at the same location. Um, but we also knew that if we did that, that would also lessen our chances for getting a particular position just because the way the algorithm works, it, it's harder for a, a program to take two people. So. Um, at that point, um, I ended up matching in Washington, D.C. She ended up matching um, in New York. And I was really attracted to my program in D.C., um, which is called uh, Georgetown MedStar Washington Hospital Center, uh, because my program director there at the time said, uh, you know, was really emphasizing work-life balance. And she told all of us that she reads one book a week, which she still maintains. <laughs> so I, I, I was, I also had went to an eighth grade field trip in Washington, D.C. and had a lot of nostalgia from there. And I, you know, I, I think it's a, I was ready to leave, you know, New York was very fun, but I also was um, ready to leave that environment just because of the day-to-day the, the -day grind. So that's what ultimately um, pushed me to go into Washington, D.C. Yeah, so I'll leave it there for now. Sorry, that, was a, that was a long answer to your question, but um, I, I think the biggest takeaways is that there's always been, yes, it can be stressful moving to one location to another, but if you have friends, family, significant others support, you'll always make it work. And um, I'm also very lucky that I'm, you know, despite them being in California, my family's never really let me feel the distance. You know, we're always constantly communicating through our group chats. Um, we do a lot of Zoom calls and, um, especially now in fellowship with having most of the weekends off I, you know i try to go back to california as often as i can but yeah the, the flip side i would say is that yeah i mean sometimes it's not always fun um you know get really used to a place and um make really good friends you make really good connections you start to get very comfortable and then boom it's time to <laughs> go somewhere else for that for the next training yeah. so yeah. um I guess that's something to keep in mind for people who you know, would want to consider that as a career. Definitely. So, I mean, with us three, we've all lived at different places, that experience of bouncing around and it definitely shapes your character, I think. And it brings out the best of people, especially when you see culture shock. I mean, 
every time you go to a different place, I mean, you have to learn how to adapt. Um, and I have a question regarding, I guess, getting into the medical or the, in, into medicine and um, all the different programs. Uh, just t having these talks with David and now hearing from you, is there a reason? Is that the reason why they have all these rotations and like trying to get into different programs and different places so complicated because they want people to go to as many places as they can to see where they fit? I mean, what what's the reason behind that? Do you guys know? I, I'm just asking because it's there is zero be reasoning behind anything <laughs> that they decide. <laughs> yeah, I just. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel more that so the way I understand it is that so the term resident, the reason they're called residents is that they actually back in the day, they actually used to live in the hospital. So, oh wow! Yeah, the, going back to the nineteen like nineteen hundreds, nineteen twenties, when you were training um, as a medical resident, you were actually you know you're resident of the hospital. You were there all the time, and so there's sort of a lot of vestiges of that system still around. Um, so yes, mm -hmm. I mean it's a little bit more humane now. There's like um, sort of work hour restrictions and. Um, sort of different things in place to make sure, you know, you're not like <laughs> there 24 seven. Uh, but that old system of, um, basically you're, you're at, you're at the mercy of um, your attendings and you're, it's kind of more like an apprenticeship than mm. really being like a, a, a trainee. So, yeah, I, I think it's more the case like that's sort of always been the system in terms of like all the different rotations. You know, I think when you're a student, they really do want to try to get you at least to see the core fields and to um, have you do a few electives to see what you might like to do. Um, I don't David, do you want to? Yeah, so uh, yeah. what interesting thing, uh, I forgot what the book is called, but there's a book um, uh, about a a pretty like big person in, in the medical field named um, William Osler. And so he, he's like uh, been behind a, a lot of the um, like diagnostics of, of, of different types of disease processes. And he, he was like born like hundreds of years ago. But um, in that in the book, it, it kind of describes why they, they call it residency. And to Josh's point, exactly. They used to live in, in the hospital. When they call them uh, another uh, way that uh, physicians or, or tr training physicians are called our house staff, and they're called house staff because like it is their their home. It is truly their home. And in this book, they actually um, there there is a lot of um, uh, I guess similarities that they draw um, into medicine from priesthood, which is why the the reason for the white coat. The white coat is actually, it used to be a black coat before. And the black coat actually came from, it was derived from like priesthood or something like that. So I, 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 there, there's, there's some connection or some correlation yeah. with that. And um, that's why every, it's, it's so, it, before it was uh, such a prestigious type of position because you were looked as almost to the level of a priest. And that's why every, uh, physicians were so highly regarded. That's why there was this, um, you know, this aura of of being a doctor. And it kind of it's kind of laid out in, in that book. I wish I I wish I remembered off the top of my head, but but I don't. But um, yeah. So the, the, that's kind of the reason why. And like I said, there's literally no rhyme or reason for all the things that we went yeah. through now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. These are just my, obviously my opinions, but yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, the, the short answer is, too, I was going to say, like, the, it, this is the, the way the system's been. So right. That's, no, nobody wants to change okay. it now, so. That's super interesting. It's, it's like daylight savings almost. <laughs> Not that yeah, even that, they're just like, changing that just now, culture. Right? Yeah. yeah, hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> but um, but as far as you guys saying, it's it's just because it's kind of always been this way. I mean, you you focused early on, like, well, I think exposure is what prevents students from asking or figuring out or like just even people in med school understanding where where they want to explore medicine or where they want to end up in medicine. I mean, making this complicated, this competitive, is it a detriment to the profession where so that people don't end up in a job where it's just a grind and, and burnout as opposed to something that they'll love in medicine? You know what I mean? I just feel like um, 
is this something that needs to possibly change? I don't know. That's what it sounds like to me. Because I mean, the, the best way for me to, to for exposure besides learning about it is meeting people and like getting it's I mean, it's hard to get like um, mentorships that you'll follow somebody for like months or years. But I mean, do you just not have enough time to build relationships that way? Because you're just so busy with studying with being in the hospital be following your attending, you know what I mean? That's a very loaded question. A lot of sorry, a lot, sorry. A lot, a lot going on there. I just hear both of your stories. And I'm yeah. like, man, you guys, what you guys do is so important. And it's just like, it's so vital for our livelihood to live, right? Medicine is, but it's like, I understand why it has to be complicated because you guys have to be the best in my opinion. Right. But it's I want, like, I wanted to, to what extent to add that you know? to that, actually, I wanted to add to that before to, just to give us a little bit of framework to work within. Right. And, and, um, there was this article recently published say saying that you know we all talk about like the mass um resignation or right Every, oh yeah yeah and and so but there was an article written written specifically about the medical field projecting that you know like some crazy percent like 46 percent or something like that of um, medical professionals whether they be nurses doctors and, and you know anyone in the medical field that 40 percent are going to leave the industry 40 something percent something or something crazy and so kind of in like this that's kind of been a uh, it's a result of everything that you just talked about or everything that mm -hmm. you just mentioned and everything that Josh has kind of mentioned also like that's that's not like an overnight thing that's something that's accumulated over time and compounded and now we see add on the pandemic now we see like this is a result of that and so I guess kind of to, to, I think Josh you should probably take this question just because <laughs> but in in that um frame of mind seeing that this is projected to actually happen within the next five ten years yes so to, to your point chris like yes i mean i i think like i'm 30 years old right now right i have am just now in like a year from now hopefully actually going to be starting my first real job in medicine essentially i've been a trainee for the last five years and before that i was doing schooling so it is you know just getting to the point is you know kind of a it, i mean it is a grind um but i think you know you combine somebody going through that entire grind in medical school and then residency and then fellowship and then they've started working in a few years and like david said then you get the pandemic on top of it having worked at a certain pace for so many years, you know, it's easy to see why people um, burn out. Um, and I wouldn't just say that's with doctors. I mean, that's with um, nurses, with respiratory therapists, um, you know, all across the healthcare field right now. But so that's sort of one ongoing problem, but then structurally that, you know, the, like, as you mentioned before, because of how competitive getting into medical school is, or, you know, even getting into like really great nursing um, programs, there's such a shortage of um, doctors, you know, there was a significant shortage before the pandemic, but now 40% of the population is going to be leaving as well. Um, in addition to right now, there's a, in healthcare, a lot of the baby boomer population is, you know, heading towards retirement age, like, there's going to mm -hmm. be a significant shortage. So, there's a lot of incentives to try to, you know, change that system. I know some of the medical schools are trying to go more that it's like essentially becomes a three years instead of four years. Um, so people are trying things, but I mean, the, the supply is not going to be anywhere near the near the demand. So I mean, just to, you know, I'm sure as David's going to start to get to, as soon as I started my fellowship, which is a total of two years, I started getting emails for jobs, you know, left and right. For, wow. Yeah, um, it, it, that's like just how much they, they start recruiting you from very early on just because, you know, there's a lot of places that are desperate to have, um, especially like with like, I mean, I, primary care doctors too, but um, specialists as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's a major problem. Even, even at my, at my institution at the University of Virginia for somebody to get an appointment in our clinic because we're the only major rheumatology center um, probably within a few hundred miles you're looking at about a nine month to one year wait list Jeez. just to get an appointment <laughs> so um, it, it's wow. it, it's it's just it's it's not a it's not a great 
um, system. That is that is wild. Yeah, I yeah. think what's what's crazier too, or I guess there there's always been this push to to have um, you know primary care physicians to have specialists go into these like underserved areas too, and m- more and more I think as as the as the political climate continues to change, as the socioeconomic climate continues to change the the supply will never never outweigh the demand and for <laughs> I, I don't think the supply will ever even come close the to man, the yeah. demand um yeah. just the way that things continue to to move it, or if if things continue to move the way they they move currently and i don't know i think that's just something again that people just need to just consider it's yeah. it's never a conversation of like oh don't don't pursue this because all of these things are happening it's a conversation about if this is your decision you know like if this is something that you're really passionate about like pursue it but also understand all the little things that you're you might not be thinking about ask people that have thought about it or ask people that have actually gone through it get their yeah. perspective and you know round out your analysis of your decision and ultimately it's yours you know, it's ultimately still yours and no one's going to own it but you. That's just kind of the reality of things. So just to add on to that point too. So between Dave and I, we've been in this journey for such a long time that, you know, I, I do, like you said, some of your audience is high school kids and college kids. You know, they might have family, friends, friends try to ask you, well, you know, can you talk to so-and-so about this, uh, about being a doctor? And I can tell them a little bit about you know, my experience now, but they're so far removed from that. They're just beginning college. It's hard to, you know, explain to the, the full process of, you know, they, they want to know about getting into medical school, which, by the way, since, you know, David and I are like almost 10 years removed from that process, that's totally changed. So I, I don't know how much yeah. of a guide we can really be for that. You know, I, I can sort of explain my day-to-day life, but it's hard for, you know, a college kid who's concerned about taking the MCAT you know, what, what it's actually like to, you know, work, you know, to have that work life. So, you know, I think one way to bridge that gap is to do things like shadowing. Um, it's obviously really nice if you have a family member who, you know, works in the field and you can see them working um, each and every day, but it's such a long journey that there's such a disconnect um, between starting and finishing. And then the other thing I want to mention, just sort of, because we were talking about sort of the physician shortage, um, one thing that also has been increasing um, nurse practitioners. So, um, do, do you know how long nurse practitioner school is, David? Is it three years? Uh, I think it can be anywhere between, I think, two and four years, I believe. Two and four years. So I think the shortest of... one is there is like some programs that are like, like 18 months. 18 months, right. Yeah. So, the nurse practitioner, uh, I'm just because your audience is. Uh, maybe somebody younger, that that is also a great option. And it sort of varies state by state, but they are also having, um, they essentially can be their own primary care doctors and and practice independently. So that's another great option, you know, as well. And then physician assistant program, which is um, about three years, I I think, and you're you're done. And it, a lot, there's been a, there's been a bigger role for these um, each of these jobs just because they're, they're they're needed, frankly, and that they they're sort of helping um, make up that shortage in overall um, positions. So the, I mean, just to offer those as career options too. I, I didn't I don't remember hearing very much about that when I said <laughs> so like those are great career options. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because I've been. There might be listeners who are intimidated by the lengthiness of med school, knowing that there's other roles that are uh, yeah. very important within within healthcare. Um, and it sounds like, as far as like you said, bridging the gap. If, if a, someone who's 18 who's thinking about med school, they don't may not want to reach out to like their 60 year old like PCP right or primary <laughs> care doctor. But I mean, I think it's it's helpful. Would you say is to find a mentor at every level, if not and not to have that intimidating like mentor like role but it's just like somebody that you can kind of pick their brain on from each level like somebody who's in in med school at the time someone or someone who's going to the prereqs again to med school someone who's you know you know what i mean yes yeah, so um you know i've definitely had 
one advantage I've had, I've always had, you know, one of my best friends is a year ahead of me in UCLA, uh, medical school, residency. So I was lucky to be able to pick his brain about certain things. Um, I think in college, um, sometimes I feel like it can be a little bit hard to find a mentor, especially when you're at a big university and you know you might not be sure of what you're willing to do. But anytime I've um, sort of asked or reached out to people, generally I would say I've gotten a positive response. I, I think the biggest thing is just taking initiative People appreciate that if, you know, you're interested in, um, so one thing I remember going back to, this is going back to high school, but um, I was sort of concerned about these things even when I was a younger age about, well, you know, everybody around me in my AP biology class wants to be a doctor, but we have no idea what it's actually like. <laughs> so I think I had started a club called, I think it was like Future, it was FDA, Future Doctors of America or Future Physicians of America. And I just started calling, like cold calling doctors in my town to be like, hey, you know, w would you come speak at our like high school lunch meeting for 30 minutes and just, you know, give us a little bit of a, you know, we're high school students. We don't know <laughs> what, what, you know, what's going on. Can you come talk to us for a little bit? And, you know, generally, um, you know, I wouldn't get responses from everybody, but I had you know, a few doctors who were very willing and able to do that. And they were able to get, you know, give us talks. And for me, some of those early experiences at, at least gave me some exposure. And um, even with, with David as well, too, I mean, we both, it was a lot of, you know, emailing and finding out about, the, it, it takes a lot of initiative on your part. That, that's really, but I think if it's something you want to do, um, there's always somebody willing to help. At least, you know, that's, that's what I found. And I wouldn't say I have one of those people who had, you know, one strict mentor who's helped me like continuously along the way. I, I think I've just had different mentors or not, I wouldn't even call them mentors, but sometimes just friends or um, colleagues who just, you know, help me at each stage. And, and that's been useful. I think that's just so important for people to always, you know, be thinking about it, one thing too is you want to understand or you have to kind of have a game plan about like you know like what are you actually trying to learn right it's like so someone that's 20 years removed from the process like you're not necessarily learn you're, you're not necessarily looking to understand oh what do i study for the mcat no the the, <laughs> the the goal there is to okay what do i what what about your job 20 years out do you still love like that's yeah. something that you should be asking about, you know, the, the questions are different. So if you have somebody going through the process right now of applying to med school, okay, like ask them like, what's, what's the, uh, what are you doing? What do you actually have to do? But if someone that's not there anymore, it's like, well, what was your mindset back then? How did you approach it? How did you deal with the challenges? So you have to uh, like part of mentorship, I think is understanding like what you want to absorb from, from this person and why. Right. Because yeah. the situations, the circumstances are always changing. And and to, to both of you guys' points, you know, like the, the mentorship or the person that you're learning from is also changing. So that that always needs to be like in that it's always gonna be in flux, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, you always gotta think about it that way, shift things to the positive. Um to kind of round this out, and I, I wanted to to ask you, you know, like <clears throat> looking looking back now. Um, I guess, or sorry, sorry, looking forward, what do you see uh, as far as, you know, we, we ask this to everybody too. So uh, yeah. this is the reason why we ask, um, you know, like, what do you see? Where do you see life? You know, you've gone through all this training, schooling. Yeah. Now you're here in your current uh, fellowship. Like looking forward, what do you see life to be like for yes. you? Yeah. Um, so hopefully um, a few years from now, I'm working um in a specialty practice and I wanted I do want to go back to California I think it's you know it's been about 10 years away from home now I think it's time to go back um I ideally would like a job where um hopefully I'm working like you know Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday um in, in primarily clinic setting and having hopefully, uh, you know, weekends, all my weekends off. And, you know, hopefully I, I do right now I'm single, but, you know, I would like to be 
married one day, um, possibly have kids. And so to, to me, the, one of the reasons I picked this field is because of that work-life balance. Um, I think partially I was so like, between being a high school student and a college student forever and a medical student, I was used to having my weekends off and in residency, that was kind of a shocker not to um, to have, have those all your weekends off. So to, to me, I'm really big on work-life balance. Um, I have a lot of interests like running, hiking, um, reading, um, poetry writing. I, I have a lot of other things I want to pursue, um, you know, besides, yes, you know, medicine is in some ways my life um, for the past few years, but, you know, it, 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 it's not only, you know, me, I, I, I have a lot of other interests I want to pursue. And um, for me, work-life balance is important to me. Um, so that, that um, and then I, I would say, secondly, the reason why I say California is, yeah, I do, it has been very fun um, to live in all these different places and um, to get to experience life. But, you know, I think ultimately, you know, I do want to have that family, family, friends, support, community support that, you know, I, you know, grew up with and grew up doing. And, um, you know, David and I were talking about over the weekend about getting back into doing, you know, community service. That was a big part of my high school life. Um, so that's, you know, something that, you know, I'd like to get back involved in as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal for right now. Man, that's awesome. I love when people have their passions included with their like 10, 20 lifelong goals, man. That's like one thing that's so important, but overlooked too often. Um, of course, thank you so much, Josh, for joining and it's great meeting you. Uh, if there's anybody that wants to reach out to you, maybe uh, a student or someone who's looking into medicine who might want to ask for tips, um, best socials to reach you. Yes. Um, so um, you can reach me on Instagram. Um, so JPD um, underscore eats. Um, I, I had a foodstagram. I was not really active um, right now. It's a lot of personal pictures, but um, it's just, just send me a DM. And uh, but also my, my emails are just my name, Josh Paul Dillon at gmail.com. Um, so you know, if you want to reach out, like I, I'm more than, I've had plenty of people that have, you know, helped me along the way and I'm, you know, happy to, you know, help others do the same thing. So. Oh, I love that, man. Love it.